Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the subject of Doctrine of Atonement. We're so glad you could join us today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we welcome you all. And we will begin with our morning prayer. Reading this morning from Science and Health, pages 497 and 91. We acknowledge Jesus' atonement as the evidence of divine efficacious love unfolding man's unity with God through Christ Jesus, the way-shower. And we acknowledge that man is saved through Christ, through the truth, life, and love, as demonstrated by the Galilean prophet in healing the sick and overcoming sin and death. Let us rid ourselves of the belief that man is separated from God and obey only the divine principle, life, and love. Here is the great point of departure for all true spiritual growth. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. And the watching point. Watch number 251. Watch lest you believe that there is any real growth except individual spiritual growth. Increase in the number of churches, membership, and subscriptions to the periodicals is only effect. It may appear to be growth from man's standpoint, but the only growth God recognizes is whether from year to year individual students are better able to remove from their thinking everything that tends to crowd out God and that they may hear His voice more clearly in order to listen and profit by what he is saying to them and use this divine wisdom and love to bless all mankind. Thank you. And comments on that? Well, I, I was thinking about it because very sometimes we get very busy and I realized that unless God's guiding you, uh, Sometimes the activities are crowding out God, and then it, it's doing just the opposite of what you want, which is ultimately to bless all mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the importance of what I'm learning here is to slow down and listen and make sure God is guiding the activity that you're doing. Thank you. I've also been thinking about how um, since we wake up, we're um, reminded to wake up every morning knowing that there's only one mind and that God is our only mind. And so we can't be mesmerized to think that there is another mind that can think differently from the one mind and that, um, you know, that, that I've been helped by by knowing that and I can't be my thinking can't be led astray that I that by knowing that I'm one with God every moment 
and that this will show me what thoughts are not coming from God, but to just stay with my oneness with Him is is helping me a lot. Thank you. You know, um, I thought. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add something else too. When I was thinking about that, with like the number of churches, you know, it occurred to me as like the Tower of Babylon probably looked like growth back then, but it was just it was all false growth. It was all growth in the wrong direction. It wasn't toward God, and that's kind of what it made me think of here. It's like you know, it's it's just it's a completely wrong idea of growth. Thank you. That's very true. Um, you know, and, and you, go ahead, Florence. Yeah, I think uh, Christ Jesus' own example shows us this oneness with God. He walked this earth claiming the mind of Christ as his mind and with such confidence, but humility also. And I'm surprised, I was surprised to see spiritual growth in the uh, watching point because I didn't know when I was choosing the prayer. The prayer said that here is the great point of departure for all true spiritual growth. So mm-hmm. it's this oneness if we are living knowing we are not separate from God and therefore doing what it takes to prove that in our living is what shows our growth. And that's the true spiritual growth. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I believe it is Carpenter, certainly in his precepts books and maybe spiritual footsteps as well. You know, he's, he speaks about this, and, and we're taught here the purpose of church, you know, the definition of church in the glossary. Uh, that's what it really is about. Um, awakening the dormant understanding. Uh, it's a spiritualization of thought. This is what what counts, what matters. Somewhere in the Bible... I was looking for it, but it's a story of David. He gets rebuked uh, because he wants to count the numbers. <laughs> He's trying to count the numbers. And it, it is easy to want to do that or to be discouraged because the numbers aren't that great. I mean, we don't have some big mega church, but it, it doesn't matter the quantity. It is the quality and it is the spiritualization of thought of each member and you can have a church, and many existed, where they have all these committee works, and you do this and you do that. And they're, they're not really, they don't have any spiritual growth, or they don't even know what real Christian science is. Isn't that true? It, it's yes, true. It Very true. I've yeah. been to those churches. Yeah. yeah. And it goes back to uh, what Anne sent from England, and it was from the... Um, Mary Baker Eddy Collection, the Mary Baker Eddy Library for the Betterment of Humanity, this quote that I referred to on Wednesday evening. Mrs. Eddy wrote to a student, Yes, dear one, begin at home, as you said, labor for your own sanctification, spirituality, health, holiness. I find that in proportion as I do this for myself, the whole world feels it. Uh, to me, that is just so beautiful because we wonder how we can help the world. Well, you work on yourself. And those words, sanctification, the act of God's grace by which the affections of men are purified and exalted to extreme love of God. Spirituality pertaining to spirit, pure and holy, 
health, a sound state of mind and holiness, purity, integrity of moral character. So we work on ourselves. We learn to demonstrate what we do. That was what Linda was saying. Just to do something doesn't mean it's demonstrated that you've done it with God. And what did Jesus say about that? And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men, not just some, but all men unto me. It's powerful. Very powerful. And we're going to talk a lot about this today. A few of you mentioned, um, you know, how appropriate this week's lesson is on what was going on in the world. Because this week's lesson on Doctrine of Atonement, your at one what it is saying pretty clearly is, you cannot demonstrate your oneness with God unless you love. And unless you love your enemies, you can't do it. So forget about it. If you're going to be resentful or not love, not loving, even your enemies, your so-called enemies, you will not be able to demonstrate your oneness. Just as um, if you are not truthful, you will forfeit divine power. That's just the way it is. There is a moral requirement of all of us. And right now, with what you see on the news, which would disturb anybody, which is why, we, of course, we need to know what's going on. But we must turn to our books as to how we are to conduct ourselves through this time. Because it is just tempting you in every way to start hating or to get upset or see this one and that one and this is terrible and that's terrible and these shouldn't be doing this. It's just wanting you to do that. And if you get you go into that, you are going into the Adam dream and you are losing it. We can't do it. That doesn't mean we ignore it or don't care. No, we care very deeply. That's why it's so important. We understand the science. So we do this correctly not just shoving it aside and saying, oh, it doesn't concern me, though these wars are else over there, far away, or whatever you might think. No, it concerns us very much so, and we must have the right attitude. But this lesson states, in no uncertain terms, if you want to feel one with God, you must love as God loves, and that includes loving those who would seem to hate you, despitefully use you, all those things. There's no other way. Pray for them. Pray for them. Absolutely. See them correctly. And uh, dear Carrie, she sent me some wonderful articles along this line this week, which I will share with you. And if any of the articles come from someone else, I will let you know that. But otherwise, they were from Carrie. All right. So, golden text, Jeremy. James, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Thank you. And also, of course, we know this humble, this humbleness is what enables us to have our at with God, right? It's essential. Mm-hmm. 
And in doing that, we must be humble enough to follow Jesus' way. And Jesus, even on the cross, he said, forgive my enemies, right? It's in this lesson too. No, not what they do. Mm -mm. If he could do that, there can't be any uh, so-called offense against anyone that cannot be forgiven. Nothing to offend a whole souled woman. Yes. Yes. I have that for today. Taking offense. We should remember that the world is wide and there are a thousand million different human wills, opinions, ambitions, tastes, and loves. That each person has a different history, constitution, culture, character from all the rest. That human life is the work the play, the ceaseless action and reaction upon each other of these different atoms, then we should go forth into life with the smallest expectations, but with the largest patience, with a keen relish for and appreciation of everything beautiful, great, and good, but with a temper so genial that the friction of the world shall not wear upon our sensibilities with an equanimity so settled that no passing breath nor accidental disturbance shall agitate or ruffle it, with a charity broad enough to cover the whole world's evil and sweet enough to neutralize what is bitter in it. Now that is very important. Charity broad enough to cover the whole world's evil and sweet enough to neutralize what is bitter in it. Determined not to be offended when no wrong is meant, nor even when it is, unless the offense be against God. Nothing short of our own error should offend us. He who can willfully attempt to injure another is an object of pity rather than of resentment. And then what Jeremy said, while it is a question in my mind whether there is enough of a flatterer, a fool, or a liar to offend a whole-souled woman. That is just a total masterpiece. Mary? Yes. I add something to this. Certainly. It's a very, uh, you know, I was in Beirut in um, the latter part of December and January. I've had something to do with this part of the, the world. And uh, yesterday I couldn't sleep. I was up in prayer. And I kept praying and saying, there are no enemies. We have the seamless love of God. No one is left out of this. No one could pretend to, as you said, spitefully uh, use each other, despitefully, uh, you know, use each other. We have to claim the purity and the innocence of each and every idea. There are no Lebanese lies. There are no Israeli lies. There is only one God and one truth, and we have to hold to that right now, because otherwise we seem to see it as being outside of us, but what one sees there is what we have right now with us. Thank you, yes. And, you know, I've often wondered about that statement, Mrs. Eddie said, you know, if the disciples hadn't slept, we probably would be in the millennium. And what, exactly. You know, what, what did that mean? Well, 
you know, if they were working and maybe neutralizing this bitterness, this hatred toward Jesus, he wouldn't have had to have gone through what he did and things would have been quite different. So this is what we have to do now. We have to neutralize this bitter hatred that seems to be going on, not be part of it and not to let the news get us all agitated. Yeah, because it's the hatred that is getting reported. Exactly. By the media. Yes. And the chemicalization, you know, has to, it just has to completely uh, be let go of, and we have just have to embrace and pray to know no one is outside of the love of God, and that what really blesses one, blesses all. And there's no revenge, there's no resentment, there are no behind-the-scenes hidden agendas from anybody. There's only love. If we don't do this then we don't understand the work that Jesus or Mary Baker Eddy did. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, um, Carol was saying she heard what one of our senators, Cory Booker, was over there on a peace. He was there talking a peace conference was going on when this started. Um, and he said both sides want peace. Who wouldn't want peace? So the, if and obviously there is this malicious element, it's probably a very tiny part of the world it always is whether it calls it racist whatever it is it's only a tiny element that gets it tries to find something in you to get you going and get you hating agitating um to get things broiled up well that malicious element we know what happens to that don't we <laughs> It's a lake of fire and a night without a star. And we can absolutely know that. We don't have to know who, what, where, or how. But whatever it is, all it can do is destroy itself with accelerated force. That we know. That we know. We keep our heel on that. We're not nice to malicious animal magnetism, but we prove it to be powerless and nothing because God is all power. So it's a combination of things that has to be done. Um, we can't be too soft or too hard to make a reality of it. It's the love. Can I say something? Together. You can't have one without the other. Okay, go ahead. Is that Elizabeth? Um, well, I was going to say, and we don't have to tune in to watch the carnage. We know what air is trying to say, and as Mrs. Eddy said, we have to know what air is trying to say and then see that it doesn't, doesn't say it. And, and the carnage is what, you know, gets us upset and gets us rolling into the lie. Um, and where we're supposed to stop that evil is in our own consciousness. So. Thank you. Yes. We, yes. we know what the news is. So. It does yeah. no good to, to be watching this. And the news, I think the news is so exciting. Look, you can watch this going on real time. Well, no, thank you. No, thank you. So we don't let ourselves get mesmerized by the lie. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the, the responsive reading, again, it reiterates that we um, love each other and be at peace among yourselves and that you uh, do not render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. And then rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, 
In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, here come some articles from Carrie that it's very interesting. One called, Let Us Come Before His Presence with Thanksgiving. And it was written by a Franklin J. Morgan, who MD, who's a doctor. And he became a Christian scientist. He saw tremendous healing work going on. But one thing he said, I thought this was such a sweet observation. It is quite evident that the psalmist, as a teacher, well knew the import of this amiable and conformable condition of mind, and that is to pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Um, When he sought to purify and elevate the minds of the people, and that was actually Paul I'm referring to, by changing them, one or urging them, one and all, to sing, to give praise, and to give thanks. His methods of address, let us come, preludes a gentle leading, kindly frame of mind, which would join together in unity of thought and which presupposes right desire, the effort to put aside any and all of these traits of the carnal mind designated as hate, malice, envy, jealousy, revenge, selfishness, since these are at enmity against God. To come before God's presence by or through the avenue of thanksgiving or gratitude must surely mean to receive a divine blessing, to be healed of every mental and bodily ill, to be made every whit whole, to be regenerated, and this without regard to the limitation of age or time, of place, circumstance, or condition. In fact, It is not even thinkable that anyone could approach the presence of divine love and not receive the blessings which God, who is love, can and does bestow. So, and it is true, you cannot be grateful and praising God and be depressed and miserable. It's impossible. And and I love that, that he thought that it is true, you know. Come, come let us. Um. And everything give thanks that is the will of God. But that gentle, let's all come together and praise God. If they all did that in these areas of so-called war, this would all stop. Just come on, let's all just sing praises. Let's all thank God. You know, it's been proven to be true in difficult situations when people have done that. And and the situation is healed. Mm -hmm. So, go ahead, Florence. No, I've seen it. It was done in East uh, in Africa, the Hutus and the the other name. But they were so at at each other for so long. But then it was just this love, you know, this love that brought them together without any more animosity. You know, the two tribes were so against each other, and and fought, and so many people died and so on. But eventually. It was love, only love that does it. Thank you. All right, and Shardell, your contribution this week went along with that. It, yeah, I, I, I decided that <laughs> and it was beautiful. Derby put it on the carousel, a plea for joy. And, and we know, we've been taught, you do not hate an enemy. We don't have an enemy, really. So, uh, and then in our lesson in Citation 3, Dear Mrs. Eddy, when the smoke of battle clears away, you will discern the good you have done. 
and receive according to your desire. Love is not hasty to deliver from temptation. Now there, and love means that we shall be tried and purified. Oh, she's wonderful. And this temptation is a trial. It's the third, in, when you look it up in the Webster Dictionary, the third meaning is trial. We are being tried. Mm-hmm. And we are standing steady. And then this joy, I'll just read a little bit of it. Uh, by praising God, whatever we're going to, this is what uh, will encourage and sustain us until perfection is attained. Then it is under temptation that joy becomes our great helper. So stick to it. <laughs> and uh, so it seemed to me then that the temptation and this trial is personal and it's also about the world. But we, victory is ours when we seek God. And I love that from Micah. With your whole heart, you, you love uh, justice, or do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So these, these are temptations for us to come out of the Father's house and get in the fray and get upset and get angry. And, and no, we must not. And yes, a plea for joy. We we spoke about that article last week. That was another one that um, that dear Carrie sent to us. And you know, she says when we speak of a quote from that article, when we speak of joy, it is not something we are after, but something that will come to us when we obey God and do our duty to Him. And that's how joy comes, and that's how we maintain our oneness with the Father refusing to be tempted do you really want to lose your oneness is it worth it to hate somebody for five or ten minutes or ten years or whatever and lose your oneness because you will you cannot claim it and do that impossible no one will say so thank you um and then nancy because i thought it went along because um this is what will encourage and sustain us until perfection is attained. And you wrote about perfection. Uh, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is is in heaven, is perfect. The act here is not a note of equality, but of likeness. Such who profess God to be their Father ought to imitate him, particularly in their love to men, which ought to be extended to the same objects as the divine goodness is, that as he shows regard, in regard, uh, I'm sorry, lost my place, that as he shows regard in a providential way to all men, good and bad, just and unjust, his tender mercies are over all his works, so ought they to love all men with a natural affection, and hate no man, no, not their enemies, for he that loves only his friends and not his enemies loves imperfectly. He does not take in the whole compass of objects his love is to extend unto. And as God loves sincerely and without dissimulation, so should they. To be perfect is to be sincere and upright. And that was from a Bible study commentary. Mrs. Eddy writes in prose works 
uh, perfection, the goal of existence, is not one in a moment. And regeneration leading thereto is gradual. For it culminates in the fulfillment of this divine rule in science. And it's a divine rule. <laughs> Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I was thinking about this. And as God is love and man is his image and likeness, this love is a very natural quality that belongs to us all. And it's um, virgin. Love is the bond of perfectness. And if we have perfected perfect love, it will form in us a perfect character. This perfect love is the key in fulfilling our goal to be perfect as our Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Thank you. The key. Yes. So again, you can never attain that without without this this divine love. And yes, that article by Mrs. Eddy, uh, Love Your Enemies, is also crucial and essential. Those two, taking offense and loving your enemies, are very important. And you should all be so familiar with And um, as, as she says in that article, hatred is what? Takes what? Yes. Which spreads its virus and kills at last. Mm-hmm. But don't go there. Doesn't matter what injustice has been done to you. Doesn't matter how terrible it was, how long it went on. Don't hate. It's the only way you'll be lifted out of it. The only way. There's uh, look look at what Christ Jesus did. There's, resurrection look at how mrs eddie you you ascend when you don't hate even when it would seem you have every reason to doesn't matter if you have every reason to you still don't do it and i know that's not easy but it, it has to be done and if those who went before us can do it we can do it too it's now a command actually so yes yes it's not a not if you want to, it's a command, really. It is Thou a shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, yeah. Thank you. And as, you know, um, Florence beautifully said Wednesday night, quoting Christ Jesus about wars and rumors of wars, but then what did he tell us? Be not afraid or do not be troubled. Yes, let not your heart be troubled. So that's something else he told us. Wars, rumors of wars, let not your heart be troubled. He told us to do that. So we're going to follow after him. We, we must do the same. And remember, you know, that scene, or if you know it in the Bible as well, but when they tried to throw him off the cliff, and these were people that professed to be his friends. I, that's that. You know, at that wedding, that couple, they were. Mm-hmm. And, and yet now they're trying to throw him off a cliff. Well, he knew this. He knew he couldn't hate them. He remained poised and calm. And because he did that, what happened? He walked right through the cliff. He walked right, mm-hmm. he walked right through it. And this so will you. <laughs> like not it today. never happened. Yeah. He said, not today. It's not happening. So, yeah, not today. Not today. Not, not. <laughs> so you too, if you have that divine state of mind, the error can't reach you. It doesn't even know you. 
you've ascended in a way. You're, you're above it. I will lift you on high because you have known my name. Psalm 91. An important thing I've learned here is in order to help me get over past events is when you're in the Adam dream, this is really the best you can do. It's the best you can do if you're using mortal mind. So you can't be mad at people for doing it <laughs> because they're in the mortal mind. All you That's can right. do is come here, learn better, and try to help change everything. That's right. They don't. If they knew better, I always feel if they knew better, they would do better. And I, I have also heard that these, some of these, we hear these atrocities have been committed, that these people are seriously drugged. And I, I mean, I have to think that has to be true. No one, in, no one even in the slightly in their right mind would do some of these things. And we know from Nazi Germany that those people were either drinking or drugged. So, yeah. uh, again, no power other than God. We render the drugs powerless. We render the era powerless. And we, ren we render any desire to hurt a fellow man powerless because it's not of God can't can't be done you keep knowing this you keep knowing it we'll see the end to all of this and what we talked about before the numbers remember we did a roundtable on the remnant it's never the vast majority of people it's always the remnant it's always a small amount that accomplishes the greatest good sometimes only one or two people look but Christ did look what Mrs. Eddie did. So it, it isn't about numbers. Just our dedication to it, going back, begin at home, begin with your sanctification, your purity. It'll do tremendous good for yourself and for the world. Now, this other very beautiful article that um, Carrie sent called Joy Through Humility. Hmm. And she quotes a poem is quoted in here, and we have had it in our magazine. I love this poem. I have it. I have a little box of my favorite quotes, and it's in that. It's in that my little box, and it. I will begin with this. Last year, in the Royal Academy of London, England, hung a picture entitled "Joy and the Laborer." Two figures only were only were represented. One, a sweet-faced child, just blossoming into intelligent girlhood seated upon a grassy bank, singing, and the other, a bent and wrinkled old man, who, having ceased for the while his delving in the furrows, was leaning upon his spade, listening to the child's song, and in the corner of the picture were painted these words, and the name of this poem is Take Joy Home. Take joy home, and make a place in thine heart, own heart for her, and give her time to grow, and cherish her. Then will she often come and sing to thee. When thou art working in the furrows, I are weeding in the sacred hour of dawn. It is a comely fashion to be glad. Joy is the grace we say to God. That's sort of how we started this session with rejoice evermore. And then it goes on, because I didn't know any of this. The artist who painted, and, and Carrie sent me a picture of the painting as well. The artist, an earnest student of Christian science, with her message of hope, 
reached not a few among the many thousands which thronged the Royal Academy during the London season, many who had been seeking long in the furrows of material sense for happiness, stopped before this picture to ponder its meaning. And the seed of truth thus fell, thus sown fell, not always upon stony ground. All the world would like to take joy home, but until Mrs. Eddy through Christian science showed us the real, we had all been taking home counterfeits of joy, and we cherished these spurious joys and watched them grow and trusted that in moments of work and worry they would sing and comfort us. And then, when the furrows were long and the sun hot and the weeds deep-rooted, they sang not, they only sobbed or mocked. So as one by one these false joys failed us, we began to doubt the existence of any real joy and bent to our tasks in the furrow unattended, sometimes even by hope. And then a quote from Mrs. Eddy. Now across the night of era dawn the morning beams and shines the guiding star of truth. In the light of Christian science, we see how it is possible. And now to seek and find real joy. And then she also quotes Mrs. Eddy that who is, calls humility the genius of Christian science. So all of this goes together in our atonement, our humility and our joy. And she, it writes here, she writes, Therefore, total lack of humility must indicate a total unconsciousness of God's presence, a pride so great, a self so insistent, a dream of matter so dense, as to shut out the voice which forever calls, Awake thou that sleepest. So remember, when we see these false events going on, we are, we are, we are watching a, a bad dream. And... I'm sure none of us want to become a part of it, do we? <laughs> so don't join in. Don't join it. See it as a dream. Only fine eyes shall thou see the destruction of the wicked. Thank you. Thank you. The 91st Psalm. Stay in it. And then, I think I will bring this in now. This is something beautiful that Elizabeth sent from New Hampshire a while ago. Um she writes, I, I mentioned recently that I am reading a biography of Bliss Knapp. It is so terrific, and I didn't know if you would have time sometime on the round table, but I thought to send you this letter written by Bliss Knapp to his young sister from his lecture tour in Europe. It is just so beautiful and has lessons for us all. It says, My dear Daphne, I'm glad that you are taking a real interest in how birds look and how peas grow. It is a real relaxation just to fill yourself with the sweet atmosphere of the day and get a real interest in how things grow and develop until you get out of yourself, out of doors with the birds and the peas and the beauties of all about us. And we begin to love these little ideas when we take an interest in them. We love to watch their development in their own way. We can look up through the gentleness of this fascinating growth and development to causes. This inspires original thought and investigation as to the myriad ways that interlock in harmony, like the countless combinations of mathematical notation. Yes, and when we have looked on in silent admiration, like one peering through a rent in the curtain to behold the wonder of our own unfoldment in the same plan, 
that we are not a distant spectator, but a necessary part to complete the harmony of God's plan, that others may observe us in our unfoldment as we watch the raiment of the lilies. So I am glad for you that you are getting into a serene atmosphere. I just do my work and let things grow, that's all. Then I simply adjust myself to the outgrowth of the work accomplished. That is why I can be happy wherever I am. And if I'm not, then I can sit down in a corner and realize the peace and power of divine guidance until I feel its presence. Then I am happy because this power is mental and everywhere, lovingly. So, instead of watching a bad dream, hold thoughts steadfastly to the enduring, the good, and the true, and you will bring these into your experience proportionably to the occupancy of your thought. Mary Baker Eddy, this is our duty, not to be tempted, as Chardell brought out, but our duty to hold our thoughts steadfastly to the enduring, the good, and the true. And we will bring it out, yes, at home, in our own experience, and for the world. We can do no otherwise, especially if you are planning to keep your oneness at one with the Father. Joy, humility, not to be tempted to leave his house. And then I'll just mention briefly, Nancy had sent me a message from the Christian Science Board of Directors. She has a, a sad day for Bliss Nat. It was sent to her from a friend who was a, in Paul Smiley's Sunday School class. And it tells in several pages, so I won't read it, but tells how they took his book out of the reading room. It was a sad day, not just for Bliss Nat, for all of us. It was a very sad conversation is how they did it. But anyway, we have the book and we will read it and maybe we will find that book that uh, Elizabeth referred to, which was what a biography of Lisnap. Yes. What is the name? I remember the author offhand, but um, I believe it's on the Mary Baker Eddy Institute website. Okay. Hmm. And there is a hard copy somewhere because I was I was sent one. Okay, thank you. Maybe David Keaston has that, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we can check. We have his list. And then another article that was very helpful to call Fret Not. And it says, you know, the Bible tells us to fret not because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall be cut down like grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. We can trust that God will take care of all this without us trying to get in the middle of things. And then, great peace have they that love the law, and nothing shall offend them. If we love God's word and ponder Christ's teachings in our heart, we shall not be offended by the evil deeds of others. God's truth is mighty and will prevail over every evil. If one continually thinks of the evil in the world, it will undoubtedly become a mountain before him. Mystery will mount upon mystery until he will be overcome with the burden of it all. And isn't this what is happening? 
But God's people are told to forsake evil and it will flee from you. Turn away from it. Keep your gaze on the good things. Think more about goodness than evil. Believe more in good in a good power than in an evil power. So, love is the only power that can successfully and permanently obliterate evil. So, and I thought it was beautiful in the in the watch last night too. It said the first commandment in the Hebrew Decalogue: "Thou shalt have no other gods before me." Obeyed is sufficient to still all strife. God is the divine mind, hence the sequence. Had all peoples one mind, peace would reign. And, I don't know, there's still more things, but there was a beautiful article on appreciation by Ella Hogue, which just says, too, how important that we appreciate each other. Why not say good things about each other? Bring out the good. It's a wonderful article. All these should be on our website, all of them today. They're all wonderful. And this one was just amazing to me. Oh, my goodness. And this is by editor. Now, dear Carrie's figured out who the editors were because they usually don't tell you. This was was Julia Field King, okay? And it brings out in Matthew 5 about if you're angry with a brother without a cause, you shall be in danger of judgment. Don't come. What? Don't come to the altar. <laughs> being angry. Don't even think about it. <laughs> you got to reconcile yourself. Okay. So, in this article, she talks about reconciliation. Reconcile to bring to acquiescence to content, and then the de- definition of content: rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Satisfaction, which which holds the mind in peace, restraining complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implying a moderate degree of happiness. So, this is such a good point. To be reconciled to God, then, is to be brought into acquiescence to content with divine immutable principle. And its demands, just as they are, ever have been, and ever will be. The will of principle, God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, becomes the will of man, and the reign of divine harmony is begun in him. Again, the reconciliation of man to God involves another reconciliation, that of man to man. First, be reconciled to thy brother. That is... The first evidence that man is reconciled to God is that he is reconciled to his brother. While man has been making a God after his own ideal, has he not also been trying to make a brother after his own ideal? Each man has wanted a God to minister to himself, hence the making of God's many. So, also, man's trying to make a brother to minister to himself has involved many brothers after many kinds as a result. In other words, each man is trying to force as many as possible of his brothers to be shaped and molded and disciplined according to his own selfish or self-ministering ideal. I want you to be a Democrat. (laughs) You've got to be a Republican. You've got to do this. You have to think like I do. Yes. Damn it. (laughs) 
such a great point. Uh, All the whole, it is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> First be reconciled to thy brother as he is. Leave its individuality untouched. And then in capital letters, hands off. <laughs> he is the idea of the inex, inexorable, inexorable, just God. I meant to look that word up. The God that allows no intermeddling. He alone is the omnipotent. And he works in man his own individual good pleasure. Hence, man is God's ideal. And man must be reconciled to, brought into acquiescence with, that ideal both of himself and for his brother. Christian science reconciles man to God and to, and to man. And one demonstrates that reconciliation before men in a life of trust in God for all things, even for the salvation of his brother in God's own way. Inexorable is impossible to stop, alter, or resist. Thank you. Thank you. So, good point. You know, it's one thing we pray, you know, the, a righteous prayer, all come to the Father and know the Father. And, in fact, they all do. Because how God can create anybody that doesn't know him. We just have to see it. But when we try, we get so mad. Oh, you don't think like I do. You have to, you have to vote the way I do or you're an idiot. Well, you know, that doesn't do a lot. And in Big Dal Young, he says it too in the in God is individual consciousness. He said we should never try to convince another of truth yeah. because no appeal of the human intellect can convey truth. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta leave them to God. God speaks to these people, everyone, all of us individually. And then it says, for the benefit of those who want to help others, please learn to let Whoa. them alone. <laughs> we, we get in the middle of too much stuff sometimes. And, and all we do is create a lot of havoc, yeah, and resistance and fighting. And I know better than you and all of that stuff. So we just, we all mind our own P's and Q's and work on ourselves. Bring it, bring it to our own home. And and that's true as a nation as well, individually true. and as a nation. Our example. Yeah, your example speaks much louder than anything that comes out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and makes a much bigger impression. So. All we've talked about today are ways to keep your at one with God, your peace, your your one with. And it's so important to have that oneness, so important to do anything. Now we're going to end on Mignell Young's article, Oneness. There's several pages in there in which he handles war very well. Now, what he's writing about, of course, was World War II. So the uh, the nations and things might be a little different, but it's well said. Yeah. And he writes. This is in his collected writings. War waging between good and evil, that is, between suppositional forces of evil and the forces of good, must be understood. For centuries, the world has pictured to us the result of war waging between good and evil, as if evil was real. As a result, 
Eventually, one side claims itself victorious, and the other realizes itself defeated, with all the resentment and injustices that go with it, until eventually it springs up again. It is not possible to shoot, kill, or blow up aggression, greed, dishonesty, human will. These and other things, which are the basis of war, are not exterminated in this way. No one believes that anymore. The way these beliefs can be exterminated is by scientific consciousness. That principle and its idea is one, and this one is God. And that's from Science and Health, page 465. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent being leaves no power, no science, no presence other than God. The prayer for England must be a prayer for Germany. But if we want those things to cease, they will only be stamped out by persistent and constant knowing that there is no evil in God, and therefore none in his idea, man. The only way to end war among nations is to see as unreal the desires of the aggressors and destroy the things which seem to create war, such as selfishness, greed, dishonesty, aggression, hatred. Whether these be expressed by Germans, the English, Italians, Americans, or any other nationality, God never gave such mental characteristics to his idea. That's it, folks. Amen. <laughs> so, thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.